And on your way to your seat, I'd like you to turn with me your Bible to the book of First Samuel chapter 7. I will be in First Samuel chapter 7 this morning. Hallelujah. We thank God for our blaze and the King of Glory who is still in the house. He has not gone on holiday, so don't, it's not time to go on holiday. Praise God. I'll be speaking on this series, which I will give you the title very soon. But I want us to read, first of all, 1 Samuel chapter 7, and I'll be in verses 1 to 13. It will be my main text to be supported by a subtext. And the men of Kijas Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjat Jerim that the time was long. For it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto, the, unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord. Preparation of the heart is very key. And serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Can I have an amen? amen? Then the children of Israel did put away Baalim and Ashtaroth, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpeh, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpeh. And drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And somewhere judged the children of Israel in Mizpeh. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpeh, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Somebody said they were afraid. So sometimes it's normal. It happens. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering, now somebody said the Lord heard him. Say Samuel cried and the Lord heard him. If Samuel cried and the Lord heard him, when you cry, will the Lord hear you? Is he only the God of Samuel? Is he also your God? Praise God. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But, somebody say but. The Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpeh and pursued the Philistines and smote them 
until they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mishpeh and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer. You can also say Ebenezer. But for ease of pronunciation, Ebenezer, singing, He that told has the Lord helped us. Verse 13, and that's where I stop. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Go with me to my second text. The book of Psalms, chapter 121. And this was the Psalm of David, the son of Jesse, the psalmist of Israel, the man after God's heart. Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer my foot to be moved. He that keepeth me will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is my keeper. Now, you can also personalize it as I'm reading it. Okay, so, in the text you have die, but I'm reading it, so I'm personalizing it. That's why it's good to come to church with your Bible. You can also personalize these blessings. Amen. It will not suffer my foot to be moved. He that keepeth me will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my shade upon my right hand. The sun shall not smite me by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve me from all evil. Not some, all. He shall preserve my soul. The Lord shall preserve my going out and my coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Somebody shout amen. amen. I have for a title this morning, God, my Ebenezer. I know that I'm not going to be able to finish this within the time frame that we have for the sermon. So it is going to be a series today and maybe next Sunday by the special grace of God. I might finish it up then. And if the Lord would want me to go further, who am I to argue? At every point in time in our lives, there are usually three categories of people that we meet. Three categories of people that we come across. And I would not be surprised if I have the three categories represented in this congregation this morning. Category number one, we have those who are just coming out of trouble. People that are just coming out of a crisis situation. God just delivered them and they're singing the songs of deliverance. Dancing and praising the Lord. And sometimes you wonder why they praise God so hard and so much. It is only they who can tell you their story because they are the ones who know their pain. If you don't understand anybody's pain, you don't understand their praise. So we have this category of people. While every other person has been lethargic and been uh, uh, so unbothered and not so grateful, they are extra grateful because they know what God has just delivered them from. Number two, we have people who are right in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a problem, in the middle of a crisis. And sometimes people don't like to say problem. They say it's a challenge, it's not a problem. I don't know the difference between the two. I think it's just a change of nomenclature. But it doesn't really change the situation, does it? 
Whether you call it NEPA or you call it PHCN or you call it IBEDC, the main thing is the main thing. <laughs> we have to deal with the root of the matter. So there are people who are right now in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a problem, the middle of a situation that is not very palatable. Number three, we have those who are getting ready, who are about to get into one. It is not a prayer, it is not a blessing or a curse that some people are about to get into trouble. That's the way life is wired. That's the way it, it is configured. The higher you go, the tougher it becomes. No, there is no promotion without examination. You have to be examined before you go to the next level. You have to be tested before you can be trusted. Of course, nobody likes that. And this morning, I'm particularly sent to those who are in a situation where if God doesn't help them, the mess will be uncontrollable and unmanageable. So I might not be sent to everybody this morning. That's what I'm saying. But I'm sent to a group of people. People that are crying beneath their breath. Lord, where are you in this situation? There are situations in our lives where you look around and like the psalmist. I, I, I have particularly studied the psalms from chapter 1 to 50. I have read them extensively in the last couple of months. And one thing that is peculiar, one thing that stood out in those psalms is the fact that the psalmist went through a lot of distress. Even though he would go to the sanctuary and praise God and give him praise and pray three times daily, evening and morning and at noon, will I pray and cry aloud. And seven times daily, do I stand before you to give you praise. There was a lot going on in the life of the psalmist. Um, so this morning, I, I want us to learn a little bit from his life and then we'll go to our main text where I took the title from. I'm sent to people who are going through pain and those who are asking underneath their breath, God, where are you? And let's be honest, nobody likes pain. We don't enjoy trouble, but it's part of the process. Our ripe grapes have to be crushed for God to make new wine out of us. But we have to trust him through the process. Nobody likes the crushing. I don't know if it was Elevation or Hillsong that sang that song, New Wine. In the pressing, in the crushing, you are making new wine. <laughs> if you want new wine out of your life, then there is an invitation to the crushing and the pressing. It's just the process. If you want to convert the grape to wine, it has to go through some crushing and pressing. It's like converting your pepper to stew. It has to go through some crushing and pressing. We don't like the process. The process can be painful. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, children of God, it is part of our growing process. It is part of God's divine agenda for our lives. So I pray for you this morning that if you are going through what looks unbearable, you will not cave. You will not go under in the mighty name of Jesus. You come out shining. You come out a lot better than you went into it in the mighty name of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, can I have that on the screen? It says, and the God of all grace, who has called us to virtue, who has called us? Verse 10, 1 Peter 5, 10. God bless you. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after. Somebody say after. He didn't say before. He said after. After that you have suffered a while. Make you perfect. Establish. Strengthen. Settle you. Look at the process. After you have suffered a while. Now nobody likes that suffering. But it says after you have suffered a while. 
This is not the gospel that some of you came to church to hear this morning. I wish that suffering part would not be there. There are certain scriptures that if I were to write the scripture myself, I would want to take certain things out. I would have loved to write it this way. But the God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory. Somebody shout glory. Aha, uh -huh, I like that glory. Who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Then skip every other thing and go to settle you. And that would sound like a good confession. But this one doesn't sound like a good confession. After you have suffered a while. Nobody likes that suffering. Nobody likes that suffering part. And when we get there, we always want God to fast forward it. <laughs> if you're already there, and somebody's telling you, don't worry, God is going to get you out someday, everything's going to be all right. I don't want someday, I want right now. Are you with me, church? I want right now. Another scripture that I would wish were rewritten or, or, or edited in the Bible would be Psalm 34, verse 19. Psalm 34, verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Now, I would have wished it was written as many are the afflictions of the sinner. And that would be fine. And if the Lord delivers him or not, well, the sinner should repent. Is that right? Or maybe we can write it this way. Few are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Bible says what? The Bible says what? Come on, shout it. The Bible says what? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So we don't have a choice about it. There are certain things that will have to happen along the pathway of life. There are certain things that will have to happen as we journey with God, as we walk with Christ, as we grow in grace, as we grow in the knowledge of God. Some people assume that when you're in trouble, it's a sign that you're backslidden, you're out of faith, you're out of fellowship with God, and God is not with you. That is the assumption of some people. They are quick to judge. They are quick and let me tell you something. One of the blessings of affliction, one of the blessings of adversity is that by the time you come out of it, you become less judgmental. You become rather empathic and merciful. You will be quick to show mercy because you would remember that it was God. Like the psalmist said, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then men would have swallowed us up quick. So when you hear the story of another person, you say, ah, if I had had this two years ago, I would have said, ah, you must be very stupid. But because of what I've been through in the last one year, I can say, ah, don't worry. God will get you out of this. If he delivered me from a similar situation, he will deliver you as well. That is one of the blessings of adversity. It will make you less judgmental. In fact, less critical of others. You would rather be prone to show mercy because you know what you have been through yourself. If you have not been through anything, you are, like Pastor Shola said during the Ablaze Congress, you are a very dangerous person. If you have never failed, you've never had your shortcomings, you've never had some weaknesses that you had to deal with and God helped you, you will be a very dangerous person because you think everything is just perfect in life and if you know how to put A plus B together, you will get to C. You know, I see a lot of motivational preachers now, they know all the formula. If you can put this together plus this, you're just going to arrive at this. Have you ever put this and this together and you're supposed to arrive at this and you never arrived at it? You think every time one plus one is equal to two? <laughs> there are times in life that your one plus one will give you 0 0.5. The mathematics of life is different from the one you have in Oxford textbooks. 
The examinations of life come without a timetable. So that's why you live prepared. You don't get ready. You live ready. Are you with me, church? One of the, one of the things that, one of the reasons or purposes that God set up this church is to prepare young people for life. Life is not a playground. So Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, he said, play the good play of faith. Was that what he said to him? Come and talk to me, church. What did he say to him? Timothy, a young preacher at that time, was almost crashing under the weight of pressure. So much pressure coming against him. Wrote to his mentor and said, mentor, what am I going to do about this situation? Who was probably in prison at the time. Said, son, you can't afford to give up the fight. It's a fight and you got to be ready. And you got to be bold and be strong to fight. And whether you know it or not, someday everybody will fight their own fight. If you're not fighting now, get ready for the day that you will have to fight. <laughs> Glory be to God. But the good thing is that you will win. Amen? We are conditioned and configured to win. That's why it's called the good fight of faith. Don't assume when you see others going through stuff that God is not with them. Don't assume like that. For every believer, in fact, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 12, he said, think it not strange. You can put that on the screen for me. Think it not strange, beloved. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. The trial that has fire. Fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. He said, when you are going through some storm and wind and, and stuff in life, he said, don't think it's strange, as if something strange, something strange happened to you. Now look at the word strange. He used it twice. Think it not strange concerning the fairy trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. In other words, Peter was saying, it is part of the process and it is normal. It is common to man. Paul said it differently in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Paul said, there had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you? Who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able? But will with the temptation make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it? What Peter was saying was the same thing Paul was saying here. Paul said, there had no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Tell your neighbor it is common to man. Peter said, think it not strange, as though something strange happened. So it is common to man, it is normal. Tell your neighbor, say it is normal. Tell them, say it is common to man. One of the things that you must never do, but which the enemy tries to achieve when we are going through tough times, is to magnify the situation larger than life. In fact, maybe even larger than God. One of the things you must constantly say to yourself, which I say to myself often now, is this is not bigger than my God. Can I have an amen to that? This is a very vital point. It can make the difference between sanity and mental breakdown. No matter what it is, maybe you filled an exam. If you have ever filled an exam before, maybe a core course, oh my God. Ask the people who have been there. It was as if, it was as though their life had come crashing or had come to an end. But if you look back in retrospect now, here you are today, already a graduate. But it looked then as though that was the end of the world. If you have ever suffered a heartbreak 
from a legitimate relationship. A relationship that you were already thinking about that this will lead to the altar. Not a stupid, hilarious relationship. I'm talking about a good one. Good Christian relationship, solid one. You guys had your time for prayer. You had time for Bible study. You shared together. You were best of friends. You were seen everywhere. And somebody went for youth service and then the story changed. I've seen that happen time and time again. In fact, there was one that happened years ago. We begged the sister. She was my, my very good friend, my personal friend. I went to her house. I sat down. I said, babe, let's talk. Ah, this bro is our, is our elder brother. Ah, ah. And you guys have been together for, for, for some time. And we were hoping that you will come back from youth service and we will go and eat rice and chicken. In fact, I will personally emcee the wedding pro bono. She listened to me and said, Fred, you want to hear the truth? I said, what's the truth? I'm out. Is that the way people are out? You can't be out. She said, oh, I'm already out. My heart is so far away from him. There is just no chemistry anymore. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's introduce biology. If there's no chemistry. That brother suffered high blood pressure. I'm telling you. Two people that I was very close to. So I was shuttling between the brother and the sister. Bro, take it easy. Take, don't worry. She will say yes again. She will say yes again. <coughs> she that shall come, shall come and shall not tarry. Even though she tarry, wait for her. For she shall surely come and not tarry. And then I will go to the sister and say, Sis, what's up now? Uh-uh. How can you love somebody and then suddenly unlove them again? How does that happen? Such a twist. Different folks, different strokes. Don't make light of anybody's affliction. They are the ones who know the depth of their pain. But there is a one-stop solution. His name is Jesus. Can I have an amen? We will be tried. We will be tested. It is not a strange thing. It's common to man. So whether you failed an exam, or it was a relationship that broke, or it was a bad break in business, or something in your family, or a situation in your health, or maybe it has to do with your parents, don't magnify it larger than life. The enemy will make it seem as though it's larger than life. That brother is married today and he has three wonderful children. Somebody might ask about the sister. We have not been in touch for some time. The Lord have mercy. Anyway, today is not Pink and Purple Connect. <laughs> In Genesis 47, verses 8 and 9, Jacob, now, let me ask you, our father, Abraham, the father of faith, did he ever have problems? Come on, talk to me, George. Did he have problems? <laughs> How about Isaac? Did he have problems? You don't know? One of the problems of Isaac, he would dig a well, the Philistines would come and fill it up with sand. He would dig another one. They would come and fill it, fill it up with sand. Isaac suffered envy. More than a whole lot of Bible characters. The Lord blessed him and the Holy Spirit recorded that the Philistines envied him. It was recorded by the Holy Ghost in the Bible. And if you have ever been a victim of envy, <laughs> in your generation now you call it beef, right? 
you would know that it is not something that is very easy to cope with. Everything you say is misinterpreted. If you dress somehow, there is an interpretation. If you don't dress at all, there is an interpretation. If you say something, there is a problem. If you don't say anything, even your silence is speaking. Are you getting what I'm saying? Are you with me? And there is no way that you carry the, the, the goodness of God and the favor of God that you won't also attract the envy of men. So you have to choose one. Whether you want to please people or you want to please God. Isaac dug wells and they filled it up with sand. Now they could have taken the well and said, well, we'll be drinking the water or we'll be sharing the water or get out, go and dig another one. But they filled it up with sand. Now, do you know what that means? Did they need the water as well? Yes, they did. Did their animals need the water as well? Yes. But we will not have the water and you will not have the water. We'll fill it up with sand. That's people who pour gari, who pour sand, sand into your gari. Such people. We need it all. And we know you need it as well. But neither of us will have it. May such people be far from our lives. And when they are near, may God help us to thrive in their midst. Envy is a horrible thing. But it's a work of the flesh. So Isaac had a lot of problems. How about Jacob the patriarch? The man who became Israel. The man on whom the grace multiplied. Jacob had a lot of troubles. In fact, so much that the first day he met Pharaoh, his son Joseph introduced him to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh asked him one simple question. How old are you? A very simple question that should have attracted a very simple answer. I am 130 years old. I mean, somebody asks you, how old are you? Do you need a paragraph to answer them? Come and talk to me, church. A simple sentence. How old are you? 18. How old are you? 25. How old are you? 32. How old are you? 40-something. Right? Look at the answer of Jacob. Put it on the screen for me. Genesis 47 and verse 9. Genesis 47 and verse 9. Media, I still have a long way to go, so please, 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 cooperate with me. Please, 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 please. Genesis 47. Now, verse 8, and Pharaoh said unto, unto Jacob, how old art thou? How old are you? Verse 9. And you would think that the man would just say it in a simple sentence. And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, <laughs> The days of the years of my pilgrimage are an hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. And I've not attained. Who is asking you for all these stories? That's to know a man who was full of trouble. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. When somebody has been in trouble for a long time, I tell you, all it takes is just five minutes of conversation with them. You will know. You will have an idea what they have been through or what they are still going through. Especially when their heart is full of that trouble. Because it's out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Does that remind you of the story of the man in John chapter 5 by the pool Bethesda? And Jesus said to him, will you be made whole? Simple question. And the answer should have been, sir, yes, sir. The man says, sir, I have no man. When an angel comes once in a year to come down to trouble the water and I come down and I'm going to get into the water and not that step it in before me. Who asked you this story? Many times 
challenges fill up our thoughts. They don't want you to think outside the box. So before you make two, three sentences, somehow that thing you are going through will, will spew out of your mouth. I know what it means. I know a time I was almost literally begging God, God, can you just help me shift my focus and shift my gaze on you? According to Isaiah 26 and verse 3, that says, you will keep him in peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in you. Because my mind could hardly stay on any other thing but this situation. I know what that means. When your thoughts are just filled up with the wrong thing. And thinking, thinking, thinking about the problem does not bring the solution, right? The solution is the word of God. So if there's anything to think about, it's the word of God. Can I have an amen to that? Can I have a better amen to that? Now look at what Jacob said. Jacob said, you know, and few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. Kill not day. The man saw a lot of trouble. But does it mean that God was not with him? Even through his trouble? Does it mean God wasn't with him? Come and talk to me, church. So tell your neighbor this morning, the fact that you're going through stuff doesn't mean that God is not with you. Thank you for preaching to them. Paul the apostle, the man that taught us faith, taught us most of the things we know about faith and confession, also has something to say about trouble in 2 Corinthians 1, 8. 8 to 10, actually. I've talked that a number of times at Bible study. He said, we will not have you ignorant brethren of our trouble that came to us in Asia. That's not a good confession. Paul, you should be saying something like, well, of our challenges that came to us in Asia, we are a people of faith, we don't have problems. We don't have trouble. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That, that wasn't a good confession from you, Paul the Apostle. But Paul laid it there. Guys, we will not hide it from you. You know, when you're a preacher, especially, or a leader of some sort, somebody that people respect, and you're going through stuff, you keep your stuff to yourself. You don't want to tell anybody. So everybody thinks you're strong. Please always check on the strong people in your life, including your parents. Check on them, because sometimes they're also going through stuff. Paul laid it bare, made it open. We would not have you ignorant brethren of our trouble that came to us in Asia. And in describing the trouble, he said that we were pressed out of measure. We were pressed. The word pressed is from the root word, the same root word that pressure comes from. We were pressured out of measure. We were going to have a nervous breakdown. We were that pressured. I don't know what is pressuring anybody this morning. But the Lord will make a way out of that situation for you in the name of Jesus. Paul said, we're pressed out of measure. Above strength. People say, be strong. You got to be strong. Sometimes I don't know how to be strong. I don't know how. They say, well, it's life. You just got to be strong. You got to be strong. Even Paul got to a point. He said, this was beyond strength. Above strength. I couldn't be strong in myself. No wonder he wrote Ephesians 6.10 and he admonished the church. He said, be strong. Finally, my brethren, be strong. But where? In the Lord. And in the power of his might. Because there comes to a point where you're not strong in yourself. The best of us men at his best is still a man. That's why 
I'm not so much impressed when you show me your success or you show me your glory. Your glory can intimidate me, but tell me your story. It will inspire me. Your story of your little beginning, your story of your struggles. Church, listen, don't ever discard and throw away your story. Own your story. Oh, when my mates were getting admission, I was feeling jammed. Today, maybe you are a graduate now, or you are in school already, and you don't want anybody to ever know that you feel jammed three times. Please, let them know. Because someday, it will prevent somebody from committing suicide who feel jammed once. You say, you fell once? My fellow's going to eat I fell three times. What? And you are where you are now? Your story will inspire people. It will inspire hope in them. But your glory, because they see you being very big and massive and successful now, can intimidate anybody very easily. Paul didn't just show us the glory of his ministry. He told us his story as well. He said, we got to that point, and we're not going to keep it from you. We're not going to hide it from you. We're going to show you. We're, gonna, we're not going to keep you ignorant. We were pressed beyond measure. We were pressed out of strength. 2 Corinthians 1.8, please, back on the screen. Above strength. Pressed out of measure, above strength, in so much that we despaired even of life. You know what that means? We didn't know, we were not sure if we were going to make it out alive. And can I pray for someone right now at this point? Going through a storm. And the enemy keeps telling you, you're not going to be here this time next year. Not by virtue of relocation, but you're going to be dead. The fear of death is the mother of all fears. There's the fear of the unknown, the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, and etc., etc., but the fear of death is the mother of all fears. And I curse that fear and I bind that spirit telling you that you're not going to be alive this time next year because you will be. Okay, three people came to church. I said you will be. You will be alive and well. And it's not just going to be next year. Ten years time you're still alive and well. Matter of fact, 20 years time you're still alive and well. 50 years time, you are still alive and well. If the Lord tarries in his coming, you will live long to old age until you are satisfied according to Psalm 91 verse 16 in the name of Jesus. Shout amen. amen. Paul said we, we, we were not sure. We weren't sure. We were not sure if we would make it out alive. But did they make it out alive or not? If they didn't make it out alive, he wouldn't have been able to write this for us to know. So, what, the reason you're going through what you're going through is because you need to journal it for someone else to read and to be inspired. Can I have an amen to that? That's your story that brings inspiration to others. Why me? Because others need to learn and be inspired through your story. Aren't you blessed that God chose you? And you are the one going through certain things. Hallelujah. However, now, quickly, I want to give you some four points. I'm going to take maybe one of them, one or two of them today, and then take the rest next week. When you are in trouble, when you're in the middle of the road, and you don't know where to go, there are four things I want to share with you. I must let you know that I'm not Mr. Know-it-all. I don't have the perfect formula to get anybody out of trouble. But I know that there is a one-stop solution. His name is Jesus. 
And this point will be taking me back to our main text, 1 Samuel chapter 7, where I took the title from God our Ebenezer. God our Ebenezer. My point number one, when you are going through, when you're in the middle of the road and you don't know where to turn, stay connected to God. Point number one, stay connected to God. Let me tell your neighbor, say, stay connected to God. The greatest disservice anybody will do for themselves or to themselves will be to disconnect from God because of your situation. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. I just quoted that now. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Somebody say it's but for a moment. Come on, come on, come on. I don't like the vibe. Say it is but for a moment. It is but for a moment. It is temporal. It's not forever. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. Problem in your relationship, in your marriage, your finances. It is not forever. It is but for a moment. I know that moment can be torturous. I know that moment can be tough. But it is for a moment. So stay connected to God. Don't let any situation take you away from God. Because God is your source. If anything can take you away from your source, then it will ensure that you die. When you get disconnected from the source, it means death. Take fish out of the water. You've taken it away from its natural habitat. Put it on sand. How many weeks will any fish survive on sand? Out of water. On sand. Stay connected to the source. Psalm 36 verse 9. One of my favorite scriptures. Forever. Till eternity. For with you is the fountain of life. And in your light shall we see light. Can you imagine being disconnected from the fountain? The fountain means the source. The Yorubas will say, a river that forgets its source will do what? Will dry up. That's why you must give honor to your parents. They are not your source, but they are the channels through whom you came to this world. God is the source, but they are the channels. It is from God we draw life. As we fellowship with Jesus every day in the word and in prayer, we are drawing life from him. Life. I had a condition some time ago and I said to the Lord, Lord, I draw life from you. So life flows from you into me. And so this situation has to come to an end. Same morning that I said that prayer, that situation came to an end. He is our life. Amen? In him was life. And that life was the light of man. He is the light that lighted every man that cometh to the world. That's Jesus. And he's on the inside of you. So you don't go to one mountain looking for help. Go to one valley looking for help. Help is already on the inside of you. Can I have an Amen? The entire kingdom of God is within you. Luke 17, 20 to 21 is within you. So you draw life from inside. Don't you ever allow that situation disconnect you from God. The goal of the enemy when we go through a storm is for us to be separated from God. Give up on God. God doesn't care about you. Go look for solutions somewhere else. That's why you would hear stories like the man used to be a pastor but today is in the occult. Oh, the guy used to be the head of the choir in his church, but today 
He's drinking alcohol and is the one leading the secular band. Haven't we seen so many of such stories? A disconnection. A disconnection. And anyone that the devil can separate easily, he can destroy easily. One of the things he does is to separate you from your company. Be careful. When the devil begins to give you suggestions, stay connected. Connected to God. Stay connected. The goal of the enemy in this storm is to get you to become weary in well-doing. To become weary in well-doing. The devil has changed his tactics. He knows that when he comes against us as a church, we will hold our hands together, we will fast and pray. And we will drive him out and he will go in the name of Jesus. But you know what he does now? He goes to individuals and wants to weary them. He wants to wear them out. That when I give you so much trouble, you'll be tired and you'll give up. I was sharing with an elder in Canada a few weeks ago. And he was sharing some of these thoughts with me from some, one of our papas. Papa Paul Ginodu. This very thing I just shared with you now about the enemy targeting Christians to weary them. To wear them out. Say, so when I give you so much trouble, you'll become tired. You'll give up. But we are not giving up. Amen? amen. We are not going to get tired. Can I have an amen? amen? Let me ask you a few questions. Are you doing well when you maintain a constant altar of prayer? Is, is that well doing? Are you doing bad? You're doing badly? When you pray constantly, is that well doing? That sounds like it. How about when you spend quality time in the word and in fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. Are you doing well? Okay. How about when you win souls? You go out and do evangelism and win souls. Are you doing well? How about when you be of financial blessing or material blessing to other people? Are you doing well? Now, the Bible says to not be weary in well-doing. Galatians 6.9. To not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. But the enemy wants you to be weary and he wants to wear you out. So what do you see? You know what begins to happen all of a sudden? You begin to reduce your church attendance because you are going through a storm. You begin to reduce your personal time with God. Your personal time with God suffers. Now you are an online member, even though you are in town. The enemy has a goal, and his goal is to destroy you, period. But before he can destroy you, he would want to separate you first. I learned this from my father in the faith years ago. Because look, when we are going through a problem, when we are going through a challenge, the natural thing is to want to isolate ourselves. That's the natural thing. You don't want to talk to anybody. You say, look, this is my business. Let me just mind my business. It's a lie. Is the devil encouraging you? Anyway, why are you going for choir house? Do they care about you? When they didn't see you two weeks ago, you had a bike accident. Did they call you? Did anybody call you? And legit, they didn't call you. So legit, you are angry. You are upset. <laughs> but hey, there is somebody walking in the background. Amplifying the situation. Even the HOM tongue-glassed you when you managed to go last week. Why do you want to go today? Gradually, listen to me, church. Gradually, gradually, you begin to reduce your commitment. You begin to reduce your dedication. Somebody is walking in the background. I've been there. I know. I know exactly what it means. I've been there. I've been there. I mean, I felt like not going to church on a Sunday morning before. I know what it means. I didn't have any idea what to do with my time, but I knew that I didn't want to go to church. When Adam fell, the first thing he did was to run away from the presence of God. Look, you are in trouble, right? 
God will get you out. Don't let Satan sell the idea to you that the way out is to separate yourself from God. It's in the presence of God you will find every answer. If we don't find it in the presence of God, where are we going to find it? One of the goals of COVID was to separate us. But we could not be separated. Don't touch your family. Don't greet anybody. Our family members became strangers to us. I mean, somebody will go out to the market to buy stuff, and when they return, they have to go to the bathroom first to shower before we were allowed to hug them. Parents could hardly hug kids. Why? Separation. The goal of the enemy is always separation. Separation. But, hey, don't be separated from God. Stay connected to God. Stay connected to God. Don't reduce your commitment. The enemy wants to separate you so as to destroy you, but, hey, don't allow him. Jesus made this clear to Peter. So actually Simon, he was Simon then. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. The process of sifting wheat is a very, very tough one. They beat the wheat, boom, 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 with a rod until they separate the, the wheat itself from the, 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 the husk or the chaff. Sometimes, your mind is being beaten like that. Beaten. Boo, boo, boo. Thoughts of accusation. Boo, boo, boo. Tormenting thoughts. Beating your mind. Trying to give you mental breakdown. Affecting your mental health. That's the job of Satan. The name of Satan in Greek is Diabolos. Someday I will have time to explain it. But that name has to do with constant beating and trying to make a road in your mind. Satan tries to make an inroad into our mind. That's why he's so constant in those thoughts he's giving you. Why do people commit suicide? He keeps those thoughts there and keeps beating it there, beating it down, beating that until they bite the thought and then psh, off they go. But they are shocked at the end of the day because if you take a gun out now and stick it to your head and pull the trigger and say, let me end it, poof, your body will fall, blood will be all over the place, but you'll be shocked that you're still alive. I thought I ended it. No, you ended the, the body. Now you have your soul and spirit together, still alive. But where you are going, I have no clue. <laughs> are you with me, church? Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But Jesus said, but I prayed for you. Hallelujah. He said, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you have been converted, strengthen your brethren. Glory be to God. Jesus has prayed for us. And so we are blessed. Let's take a cue from our text very quickly. From 1 Samuel chapter 7. And I'll be in verses 3 to 9. I want you to see something here. I want to give you some practical keys. Practical keys. When you're in trouble, things to do. Yeah, there are times that we get into trouble because of our own stupidity. Yeah, it is true. There are times we disobey and express instruction from the Lord. And so we run into trouble. Yeah, it happens. But there are times that Satan just chooses to attack you. Not because you did anything wrong. Not necessarily because you did anything wrong. But he just chooses. Because you're a child of God, that is enough reason for him to attack you. 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, 
Then put away the strange gods and ask Tarot from among you and prepare your heart unto the Lord and serve him only and they will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Samuel was calling them towards repentance here. When you are in trouble, carry out an analysis of the situation. How did I get here? Don't stay there for too long. Carry this analysis out with the help of the Holy Spirit. Not just with your mind. Because if you do that, Satan will keep you in the reasoning realm. And you will not go beyond, how did I get here? Why? How? Why? How? Why? And he will use that to defeat you. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord, expose me to me. Search my heart, like David said. See if there be any evil way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I tell you, the Holy Spirit is faithful. He will show you. He gave you an instruction, but you went contrary to that instruction. But with him also is mercy. So the first thing to do is to repent. Amen? Repentance is key. Lord, I know I've missed it. Anytime we miss it, does the Lord know or not? Come and talk to me, church. Can anything be hidden from the Father of light? Repentance. It's unfortunate that the gospel that some people preach today is no need for repentance. You don't have to repent for anything. You've repented once, that's all. It takes care of everything. But that is not the spirit of the scripture. From the old covenant to the new, when Jesus came, he preached repentance. When he left the earthly ministry and the apostles took over, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached repentance. In chapter 3, he preached repentance. When people like Paul, Saul of Tarsus, became Paul and came to the ministry, the people that wrote most of the epistles on grace, he taught repentance. So that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Everywhere he went, whether it was Lystra or Derby and, or Iconium, preaching from town to town, Reasoning with the Jews was telling them to turn to the grace of God in repentance. So number one thing to do in your situation as you stay connected to God is to come to the place of repentance. Somewhere said to them, return to the Lord with all your heart. All of it. Not half of your heart. All of your heart. Church, let's be honest with ourselves. If something is wrong in your life, in your walk with God, be open to God and say, Lord, see everything. I'm not going to try to hide something from you. I was greedy there. Lord, forgive me. I was, I was stubborn right there. Lord, have mercy on me. I, I knew that you told me something, but I, I disobeyed you. Lord, here am I. I was lazy in that area. Lord, have mercy. And when you do that, you will see a new you emerge. Not a, not a you that is still pretending. Fake. Many fake people today in the world, even in the church. Fake. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. The Bible says they listened to Samuel and they put away Balaam. They put away Ashtaroth, the gods they were serving. And they served the Lord only. Only. They focused on him only. When your eye, Jesus said, if your eye be single, your entire body shall be full of light. You will have revelation. 
when you focus on him only. The reason we don't have revelation anymore, or it comes once in a while, is because sometimes our attention is so divided to so many things. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to miss me, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. His prayer became effective after they repented. God is calling me into great things. People hear that today. But do you also hear that God is calling you into repentance? This message is for all of us to do self-check. I'm not judging you and I don't want you to judge me. Let every man do a self-check of their own heart. Check your heart. Don't judge your brother or your sister. Check yourself. Check yourself. Nobody's deputy, almighty God. He's God and God alone. So he has not appointed you to analyze other people. Analyze yourself. Samuel said, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpeh and drew water. As they drew the water, they poured it out before the Lord. That was worship. They worshipped. They repented, then they worshipped. They poured it out. Let my worship rise as a sweet perfume. I pour my love, my love all over you. They worshipped. Just like the mighty men of David. When David said he wanted to drink water from a particular well in Jerusalem, they went, they fought, they killed people to get the water. When they brought the water to David, David said, this is not water. This is the blood of men. I'm not going to drink this one. You must have killed people to get this water because they killed enemies to get to that well. He poured it out before the Lord as a form of worship. Don't let worship be scarce in your life. Don't let your complaining be more than your worship. Are you with me, church? And they fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. They acknowledged it. We have sinned. Pride will not make you repent. Deal with pride in your life easily and quickly. And it's in all of, all of us. It's in our nature, in the Adamic nature. We must come to that point where we swallow it and say, Lord, have mercy. We have sinned against the Lord. And somewhere judged the children of Israel in Mizpeh. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpeh, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel had it, they were afraid of the Philistines. There are times you hear the enemy is coming and you are afraid. Exam is coming and you are afraid. That lecturer is coming and you are afraid. That deadline is coming and you are afraid. You need to pay that bill. It's natural. But what did they do? And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. Don't stop crying. Don't stop praying. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. Another form of worship there, he offered an offering to the Lord. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him. If the Lord heard Samuel, the Lord will hear you. I pray for you today, the prayer of Psalm 20. May the Lord hear you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. Repentance brings reconnection. 
Repentance, why must you repent? Repentance brings reconnection. If you're in trouble, be sincere and lay everything bare before the Lord. As you repent before him, you are reconnected to him. You remember the prodigal son, Luke 15, 18. He came to himself and he said, I will now go to my father. And I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. What happened that day? There was a reconnection between him and his father. Is that right? That's a type, a shadow for us as Christians. All right? When you reconnect, when you repent before the father, you are reconnected to him. In Job 22, verses 21 to 29, we don't have time to read it. He said, acquaint now yourself with God, and thereby you shall be at peace. Lay up his words in your heart. Thereby good shall come to you. He said, if thou return to the Almighty, thou shall be built up. I'm appealing to somebody today, return to God. Return in repentance. Return to God so you can be reconnected. Enough is enough with this hardship that you're going through. Enough is enough with the enemy taking advantage of you. Enough is enough. Repentance brings reconnection. In 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. Only this part of the hall is awake. He's faithful to cleanse us from how much of unrighteousness? All of it. Not some, all of it. The moment you repent, all of it wiped out. Glory be to God. Also, repentance prepares our heart. Repentance prepares our heart. When you repent before the Lord, it prepares your heart to receive from God. First Samuel 7, 3, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return to the Lord with all your heart, if you return with all your heart, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your heart unto the Lord. And serve him only. He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Whatever represents a Philistine in your life, you are delivered from it in the name of Jesus. Whether it's an addiction, a bad habit, you are delivered from it in the name of Jesus. But you must repent. Don't glorify it. Say, Lord, you know, it's my own uh, weakness. It's my weakness. And you know, it's not easy. As a human being, once in a while, it, it, it happens. Um, you know, in fact, when some people are praying and they want to confess their sin before the Lord, they speak in tongues in that area. Um, Lord, you know, yesterday when I bradoske, glededuske, uh, mananaste uh, is something that is not easy. What are you saying? Don't be a rascal. Come before the Lord and, and be open. He knows. Does he know or not? Does he know or not? So, repentance prepares your heart. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, the Bible says, And Ezra prepared his heart to know he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. He prepared his heart. He prepared his heart. Repentance prepares your heart. In Proverbs 16 and verse 1, the Bible said the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. For the answer of the tongue to come from the Lord, there has to be a preparation of the heart in man. You are listening to me this morning. You are still planning to leave church after service to go to your boyfriend's place and have sex. A lady messaged me about two years ago and said, I don't know you, pastor. She was messaging me around 3 a.m. In those days, I used to leave my WhatsApp, my phone on all through the night. I don't do that anymore. My sleep is very precious now. 
I said, who is this person? I opened one eye. I said, it was WhatsApp. I closed it, but I couldn't sleep. It was an epistle. And she, she, she wrote a life story there. She said, every Sunday I come to your church, it's as if you are talking to me directly. Did they send you to me? You are just talking about my life. Because every Sunday after service, she will go somewhere to meet somebody and they will do something. Every Sunday. She wasn't a member of the church. Somebody invited her. So she started coming. The first Sunday she came, she said, ah, that thing hit me. She came again. Another thing hit me. She came again. And, uh, but she couldn't leave. She didn't like so much what I was saying, but she could not leave the church. So she reached out and said, I think I need help. So I reached out and said, see me in my office. And we talked about everything and we prayed. And she reconnected to God and to the glory of God still standing today. We are celebrating several months of, of, of what do you call it now? Purity. Sexual purity. Over a year now of sexual purity. I mean, we celebrate it. It calls for celebration. Because if you have been there, the thing is like a shackle. Say, Pastor, I couldn't help myself. I Even though I didn't like it myself, but I, I couldn't help myself. Anywhere to overcome money, it goes out. Today she's on fire for God. And I give glory to God. When I see lives that have been transformed in this house, I give glory to God. But listen, it comes from the preparation of the heart, first of all. You must come to that point where you say, look, enough is enough. But if you still want to enjoy the pleasure... You still want to enjoy the memories of it. The memory will draw you back into it. Today we are celebrating over a year of celibacy. Over a year of sexual purity. Because somebody prepared their heart. Repentance will prepare your heart. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 38. Paul preached, no, Peter here, preached repentance. Acts 2, 37 and 38. Now when they had this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter quickly answered. This was the day of Pentecost. He said, Repent! And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent and receive. Repent and receive. When you repent, you receive something from God. You drop that which is base. You drop that which is sinful. You receive that which is holy and pure. Can I have an amen? Acts 3.19. Quickly. I'm rounding off. Acts 3.19. Peter still speaking. After they healed the man by the gate called beautiful. In the name of Jesus, Peter and John. When they went to the house of God in the hour of prayer. And people gathered around them and were asking, what happened? What did you do? He said, repent ye therefore. Repent ye therefore. Repent ye therefore. This is New Testament. This is act of the Holy Ghost, act of the apostles. Those who say you don't need to repent. This is New Testament. This is not Habakkuk. This is New Testament. Repent ye therefore. And be converted. That your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I pray for this church. May we enter into, it, into a new season of refreshing. May you as an individual enter into your new season of refreshing. In the mighty name of Jesus. Those watching online, may you enter into a season of refreshing in the name of Jesus. Can I tell you something as I close this? Maybe you are in trouble today because at some point you missed an instruction from God. Or you simply just disobeyed God. Thank God.
God, there is room for mercy. Or maybe you didn't do wrong. But in the course of the storm, you began to subtly rebel against God in your heart. Repentance is key. There are times that maybe you failed an exam and you were in fellowship every time. You attended fellowship, you set up the place, you were the last person to leave, you were the first person to get there. And then you failed a particular course. Then you turn the anger against God. God, why? I was in your house every time. Let me look at your neighbor. If your neighbor is sleeping, don't slap them. Just pinch them. Pinch them. This, this will change your life. It's not a good time to sleep. I'm sweating. You should not be sleeping. Amen? Is somebody getting blessed this morning? Is the word getting into your heart this morning? Are you getting something out of this message this morning? Now, there are times in our lives when things don't go right that we subtly protest. We don't tell anybody, but we are protesting. Is the reason you've stopped coming for the answer. What was God looking at? What was he looking at when I failed that course? A lady once told me, believing God for, the, for, for a, a husband, she was so bitter against God, so bitter. She said she won't run on him. I said, who? Say, can't he see? I said, who? Say, eh, God now. So that's where I talk to him. Say, ah, you, you won't be married though. You'll remain in this condition for life. And in fact, worse. Because you are fighting your source. How can you say that? There was bitterness already in her heart. And let me tell you, some people might not say it, but in their attitude, they are bitter against God. And can I tell you the key? The way out. Repentance. First of all, repent. You can't fight God. <laughs> you can't fight God and win. You can fight God, but you can't fight God and win. Loser, oh, oh, loser. That's the song they will sing for that person. I remember when my father was, my, my dad was ill, and I was threatening God. If you don't heal this man, I will backslide. I will, I will backslide. Ah, I will so backslide that people, well, people will look at you. They say, ah, look at your son. I had already looked at a joint. I'd never taken a call in my life, but I had spotted a joint in Mokola where I would be going to drink beer in the open. I would sit down with the sinners and I'll be gulping it in the open where I had done evangelism before. I threatened God. Oh, I threatened God. My father died. When my father died, I cried. <laughs> oh, yeah, backslide now. Go easy. Oh, some of us are far too gone. It's not easy to go back there. Even when you go back, you will not fit in. You will take half, just half a glass. You start tumbling. You fall into gutter. They say, ah, bro, only half. Somebody has finished 16 bottles here. They are not even shaking. Those ones, they have become panaki. Backsliding is not an option. Are you with me, church? Repentance is the way to go. I don't know what you need to repent of this morning. But begin to search your heart as the word of God is beaming is such light on your heart this morning. Is there something, is there bitterness in my heart against God or against my fellow brethren? Begin to search your heart. There is room for mercy. There is room for mercy. So that you may enjoy times of refreshing from the Lord. The ministry of King Jesus is that of reconciliation, not of condemnation. So the gospel is about another chance. The gospel is about another chance. It's not about, oh, you've seen, you are condemned forever. No! If Samson's here began to grow again, 
If the prodigal son got another chance, if Saul of Tarsus got another chance to become Paul, the apostle, Paul the aged, then you get another chance. Judges 16, 22, the Bible says, Samson's here began to grow again. The gospel is about another chance. I don't care how many times you've blown your opportunity, you can get another chance with God. But you must repent. God will not repent on your behalf. You must repent. God does not repent. He will never have the need to repent. The strength of Israel does not repent. Paul went from wrecking havoc to doing exploits. He was Saul of Tarsus, getting letters to kill Christians. For the same gospel, he was going to prison and he was, he was glad. He was writing most of the epistles from the prison wall, hand it over to the people that will take it to the church. He got another chance. Number two, and this is where I'm going to stop. Don't give up on prayer. If you're in the middle of the road and you don't know where to turn, don't give up on prayer. Somebody say, I've prayed, prayed, prayed. I've not seen any change. Don't give up on prayer. Pray the covenant promises of God because God hears. The Bible says, and Samuel called upon the name of the Lord and the Lord heard him. And when God gave them that deliverance, Samuel took a stone and called that stone Ebenezer. He that oh, has the Lord helped us. In our culture, it is the last born that is named Ebenezer. Go and check most families where somebody is bearing Ebenezer. That person is the last born. Because what the parents have said is, God has helped us thus far. We've had the first born. We've had the second born. We've had the third born. This one, I'm not doing again. Ebenezer. Ebenezer. Say, God has helped us to this point. <laughs> but in the New Testament, our Ebenezer is not a stone. God is our Ebenezer. Can I have an amen? A stone can roll away. God does not roll. Amen. So, if he has helped us up, up to this point, he will still help us beyond this point. Are you with me? God has not brought you this far to allow you to crash. God has not brought you this far to allow you to go into the asylum. You know, mental asylum. God has not allowed you this far. He hasn't brought you here to this point to abandon you. He has brought you here. He will take you there. Can I have a better amen? amen. I want you to pray. And don't give up on prayer because God hears. First Samuel, sorry, Psalm 65 and verse 2 says, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Psalm 116 and verse 2, my favorite scripture, the NLT. The NLT says, because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. I will pray as long as I have breath. First Samuel 7, 8 and 9, Samuel prayed. They said to him, don't cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, so that he will deliver us out of the hand of the Philistines. Verse 9, Samuel took his sucking lamb, he offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord, and Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. When you cry, the Lord will hear. Hey, I said, the Lord will hear your cry. The psalmist said, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth will I cry unto you, and when my heart is overwhelmed, please lead me to the rock. That is higher than I. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes people. When prayer changes people, the changed people change things. Prayer is potent. There is no force generated in the universe like the force generated in the place of prayer. Prayer changes nations. Prayer changes churches. 
If we learn to pray some more, we will see the move of God some more. I heard of a youth church in America. We are early in the morning. Some of the youth will go into the woods to pray. And they began to see a revival break out in their church. Can I count on you? Can we have faithful men and women that will pray for this church? Can I have you join the Mixed LR every Tuesday morning, every Thursday morning? Can I have you come for prayer meeting on Thursday evening? Not just Bible study, but make the prayer time. Can I have you in your personal time pray for your pastor? Pray for the church. Because it bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. I read of a man called John praying Hyde. His name originally was John Nelson Hyde. But people changed his name to John Praying Hyde. He was born on the 9th of November, 1865. This man prayed so much. He prayed so hard. He prayed for his soul every day. When God began to give him a soul every day, he changed it to two. God, give me two souls every day. He wasn't praying for bread and butter. He was praying for souls to be one to the kingdom of God. John Nelson Hyde had his name changed to John Praying Hyde. He was an apostle. He was a missionary to the Punjab somewhere in, in the Middle East. Minister to the Indians, minister to so many people. He was named the apostle of prayer. Today in our world, people call themselves apostles. Apostle, apostle. Little boy, small boy came to ministry yesterday. Today you have become an apostle. Apostles are not apostles because of title. Apostles are apostles. Go and read the Bible because of their work. There are evidences to the calling. Paul never called himself. He didn't actually name himself Apostle Paul. If you see his writing, you can see Paul the Apostle. Not Apostle Paul. Paul, by virtue of the calling of God and the attestation to that call, was called Paul the Apostle. Not Apostle Paul. We are the one that call him Apostle Paul. This man, John Hyde, H-Y-D-E, was called an apostle of prayer. They say he would pray. If he wasn't talking, he was praying. If he wasn't talking and eating, he was praying. He prayed so hard. He prayed out a revival. By the time he died, they carried out an autopsy on him, and they found out that his heart had shifted in his chest to the right side of his ribs. The heart is on the left. For everybody. When he died and they carried out an autopsy. You can find this out on YouTube or Google. John Hyde. John Praying Hyde. They found out that his heart had shifted to the right. He prayed so vigorously. And they said this probably was because he was always on the floor for several hours. On his face in prayer. But he prayed down the revival. He didn't live for so long. But he, he made a mark that till today... From 1865, we are still referring in 2023 to John Hyde. Some people died last year. Now nobody knows them. They died last month. Nobody knows them. This man made a mark. Should we talk about David Brainerd? Who also died in his 20s. Also went to India. David Brainerd was so sold out to prayer. He prayed so hard. One day he was praying in his tent. And the snake came. And you know some, some parts of India, they serve. They worship those kind of animals. Python, big one. It swelled around. Got ready to strike. David did not know. He was in prayer. Praying to God, give me this land. Let souls be one here. The snake was ready to strike him. Onlookers were looking. They were waiting for the snake to strike him. 
and for the man to die. Shabby, you say you have Jesus. The snake watched, 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 observed. The snake fled, ran away. We don't know what the snake saw. Time will not permit us to talk about John Knox. John Knox was a man given to prayer. He so prayed in, in Scotland. He said, give me Scotland or I die. It was John Hyde that said, give me a soul or take my life. John Knox said, give me Scotland or I die. And God gave him Scotland. God gave him Scotland. Queen Mary, the head of Scotland that time, the head of the government, ran out of town because of the prayer of John Knox. When she was interviewed later, why did you run away from town? Was it because of the enemies? He said, no. He said, I'm, I'm more afraid of the prayer of John Knox. One man, John Knox, than the entire armies of Elizabeth of England. Prayer changes things. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. A great while before day, Jesus rose up and went to a solitary place and there prayed. If Jesus prayed, <laughs> we need to pray. Some of you are looking for help here and there. When help is already available on the inside. The kingdom is within you. All you need to do is to pray it out. Pray out the kingdom over your destiny. Oh, Samuel was a man of prayer. Even God testified. Can God testify that you are a man of prayer? The devil doesn't mind us talking about prayer. I can charge you up today. And everybody prays today. What happens on Wednesday? By Friday, the fire is gone again. Church, we need to pray. I admit, we've not been praying enough. We need to pray some more. Individually and collectively. We must do something about it. If we are going to do exploits, we must pray. Nobody goes to the house of a strong man and plunders the house without, first of all, binding the strong man and then spoiling him of his goods. We must pray. In Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 1, God testified of Moses and Samuel as men of prayer. God said, Jeremiah 15, can, can, I, get, can I get that on the screen? Quickly, please. Jeremiah 15 and verse 1. Jeremiah 15 and verse 1. Jeremiah 15 and verse 1. The Lord said unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, that's in the place of prayer, yet my mind could not be toward these people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Even though Moses, a man of prayer, a man of great prayer, and Samuel, a man of prayer, a man of great prayer, stood before me, in intercession, I will not listen. These men so prayed, God reckoned that they were men of prayer. I wouldn't be too surprised that Samuel was a man of prayer. He wasn't just a man of prayer, he was a product of prayer. You remember the story of how Samuel was born? His mother's name was Anna, a barren woman. She got him by prayer. She got him, not through sex. She got him by prayer. Sex came later. There had been sex, sex, sex. Nothing happened. Until she went to the house of the Lord and she prayed. In 1 Samuel 127, she testified after Samuel was born. She said, for this child, I prayed. Do you have any prayer product in your life? Do you have anything you can point to in your room and say, for this thing, I prayed. For this result, I prayed. For this condition, I prayed. For this t-shirt, I prayed. <laughs> for this soul, this one, oh, I prayed. And she's in church today. Can you point to anything in your life that you got through prayer? A lot of things we have came by connection. 
slept with somebody somewhere, gave you some money, you bought this one. You begged somebody somewhere, gave you some money, you got this one. You use your connection somewhere, you got this one. Is there anything traceable to you that you got through prayer? If you are not there yet, I'm challenging you this morning. Like Anna said, for this child, I prayed. And the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Her petition was Samuel. Samuel became a man of prayer also. Oh, such a man of prayer that the whole country begged him. Don't stop crying to God for us. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. The enemies are coming. They're advancing. They're advancing with sophisticated weapons. Don't let them kill us. And he killed an animal. Offered a burnt offering. I cried to the Lord. El Elohe Israel. God, the God of Israel. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob, their forefathers. And God had them. They didn't have to shoot a bullet. They didn't have to sling a stone. God fought for them. Mm. God thundered from heaven against the Philistines. Thunder can fight. <laughs> God can use ordinary wind to fight. May God not fight you. You didn't hear me. <laughs> I said, may God not fight you. Yeah. Because if God fights you, who's going to help you? He used thunder. Thunder strikes usually in the sky. But thunder came down to them. They ran off. They were discomfited. Then the Israelites had courage to pursue after them to finish the work. There was another battle. I think it was the time of Joshua. When they came against Israel. And God rained hailstones from heaven. Hailstones. Hailstones from the cloud. And they fell on the enemies. And they finished the enemies. And the Bible says that day, more people died of the hailstones than from the sword of the Israelites. God is still in the business of fighting for his church. God is still in the business of fighting for his people. If there are people that can pray, there is a God that answers prayers. The apostles survived in ministry by prayer. In Acts chapter 6, they got to a point when there was dissension in the church. They said, look, we cannot afford to be distracted. Let us appoint men over this business to serve the tables. But for us, we must give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 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 To prayer. And to the ministry of the word. Are you in trouble today? Do you have a problem in your life? Is there a problem in your place of work or in your school? Is it with your studies? Is your name being dragged in the mud? Is your integrity being attacked? I have one thing to say to you. Pray! Turn to the Lord in prayer. David said in Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the vice chancellor. No. My help cometh from my uncle. My help cometh from the registrar. My help cometh from whom? From the Lord. Who made the heavens and the earth. In Psalm 46 and verse 1, the Lord is our refuge and strength. A very present help in the day of trouble. In James 5.13, is any afflicted? Let him pray. Are you afflicted? Pray. Is it in your health? Is it in your finances? Is it in your relationship? Is it in your career? Is it in your education? Pray! Prayer is multidimensional. You can attend to anything and to everything. Pray. In verse 16, it says, The effectual fervent prayer of one righteous man availeth much. I don't need everybody to pray for the church. One person that is faithful enough to pray. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need everybody to pray for the family. One person faithful enough to pray. God doesn't need everybody to pray for the nation. One person. 
It was only someone that prayed here. And God brought great deliverance. And he set up a stone and said, thus far, this is our stone of hell. This is a memorial. This is a memorial. I will speak more about memorial next week by the grace of God. Have you been blessed today? Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. The apostle will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Finally, I remember one man. And that man thrills me a lot when I think about the subject of prayer. His name was Marquis de Renti. Marquis de Renti was a businessman. He was not a minister like John Knox or John Prayne Hyde. He was a businessman. So those of you business people, you should also pray. Marquis de Renti one day told his servant in the house, the steward, he said, I want to go upstairs to pray for 30 minutes, half an hour. When my meal is ready, come and call me. Knock my door. I will come and eat. So he went upstairs to pray. As he knelt down in his room, he lifted his hands in the posture of prayer and was worshiping the Lord and was praying. When it was 30 minutes, his steward went upstairs. He looked through the keyhole. He saw that his master was still in the posture of prayer. He said, don't let me knock now. He went back downstairs. After another 30 minutes, maybe one hour, he went back upstairs, looked through the keyhole. The man was still enjoying fellowshipping with the Lord. Ah, uh-uh. ah. This man is engrossed in prayer. He went back downstairs. After another 30 minutes, making one and a half hours, he went back upstairs, looked through the keyhole. The man was still in the position. Then he knocked. Sir, your food is ready. Marquis the Renty answered from inside. Is it 30 minutes yet? He says, sir, it's one and a half hours already. The reverse is the case for many believers. You want to pray for one and a half hours. But at 15 minutes, you are stuck. You begin to yawn. Yeah, we may start from there, but let's graduate. Let's grow. Stand on your feet, everybody. Let's improve. Let's get better. As a church and as individuals, let's increase. Let's build up ourselves on our most holy faith. Let's rise up higher and higher like an edifice. Jude, only one chapter and verse 20. Give it to me in the Amplified Classic. Amplified Classic. I'll be talking about how to get help in this series for everyone that needs help. Does anybody need help in this season? Five people need help? Lord, you heard the five people that said yes, sir. Lord, you heard the 25 that said yes, sir. Lord, you heard the 50 that said yes, sir. Do you need help? God will help you. Or you must pray. Ah, ah, ah. There's a song that the senior pastor used to sing back in the day. And I know God answers prayers. I believe God answers prayers. And I am sure God answers prayers. Glory to his name. Simple song. I know God answers prayers. 
I believe God answers prayers. I am sure God answers prayers. Glory to his name. Let's read that scripture from the Amplified Classic. But you beloved, are you beloved? Is he talking to you? What did he say you should do? Build yourselves up. Founded on your most holy faith. Make progress. Rise like an edifice. Higher and higher. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to log in some 10 minutes this morning? This is to jumpstart a process. Continue when you get home. I'll give you only five minutes because I want to close. I've closed my sermon. One of the shortest ever. Hallelujah. I felt like I only prayed for 15 minutes. It's one of the signs when you enjoy doing what you do. Marcus de Renzi enjoyed his prayer time so much. He didn't know it was one and a half hours. When there's nothing to say, 15 minutes will look like 15 hours. When the head is dry and the heart is empty. But he that hear it continually, speak it continually. They will have to beg you to stop. Everybody open your mouth and begin to rise higher and higher like an edifice.